What's up, everybody? Thanks for stopping by the show. If this is your first time listening, welcome. If you are returning, welcome back. It's good to have you with uh, me today, or us, uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, today, uh, we I have just did a uh, a uh, I just released one earlier. This is going to be the second one that I was able to pump out today. I took a day off of work and got a bunch of stuff done that I needed to do, and this was on the list. So. Uh, this episode is going to be with Matthew Cox. Matthew is a former uh, real estate mortgage fraudster. Uh, he'd stolen up upwards of twenty five million uh, in one. In the Wikipedia, I looked up of him uh, twenty five million that he was he was able to steal uh, on that account. I've heard I've actually seen one that said fifty five million too. So I'm I'm not sure. So let's go like halfway in between that. Right. Still, it's a lot of money. Uh, for fraud. And he also spent a, an, an uh, exorbitant amount of time in federal prison. Uh, one of the places that he was at was, um, oh God, I can't remember the name of it. it it's in California. Uh, I was trying to get there when I went to federal prison, but the closest they could get me was Sheridan, Oregon. Um, so yeah, while he was in there, he was doing, uh, he started meeting people and the guy's really uh, sociable. So, I mean, he's easy to get along with. So I could see how, you know, he's, he's, and he's very inquisitive too. So I could see how he would do that while he's in prison. He, you know, took a bunch of people's stories and wrote books, um, of them, of their stories. And so he did a bunch of those. He's got quite a few published books out there. He is a pop artist guy. Uh, he is a really good artist. And also a podcaster. He has a podcast called True Crime. Uh, it's the True Crime Podcast, I believe. God, I should know better. It's in the description. All of the uh, places that you could find him and his uh, website are in the description of this. So check that out. Uh, what else do I got going on here? Uh, let's see. Not a whole lot, just the, the, the normal stuff, man. If you're getting something out of this show, uh, do me a favor and flip some uh, value back to me either in monetarily, you know, if you could afford to support the show uh, through donations of cash, those are always nice, but I understand we're in a time of great inflation and uncertainty right now, so I can totally understand if, you know, you're strapped too. I, I know I am. Um but that's not the only way you can support the show. You can also share the show with people that you think that maybe get something out of it or might be interested in the content. You can drop a review on iTunes if you're listening here on iTunes. Uh, there's also other ways of, of supporting the show that way. Uh, sharing is, is a huge one. Um, review the show. Rate it. Review. All that stuff. So if you can do that, that would be awesome. Uh, if you're looking for me on social media, you can follow my link tree, which is in the description that will take you to all of my places and spaces and, uh, things that I'm on is the link tree. I don't have my, uh, my, uh, website up yet. I mean, it's, uh, still under construction, still trying to figure that out. So the best way to do it now is, is to go to the link tree. Uh, if you have any questions or if you've listened to an episode and you and you want to reach out to me uh, you have suggestions of people that you may want to hear be on the show uh, 
feel free to email me at nowhere to go but up now at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, this was a really good interview. Um, it was on location. So let me give you a little, let me give you a little uh, background on this. A guy by the name of Tyler that I, I met in Clubhouse um, got me on a show called Concrete. Concrete's a pretty big podcast that's on YouTube. It's got over 500,000 uh, followers on that on that channel. So I, I booked a trip and, and flew down to um, – uh, God, I flew down to Tampa, Florida. And while I was there, I was going to be there for three days – and so one of the days I, I, I wanted to make use best use of the time that I was there. So he hooked me up with a meeting with Chris, 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 Ah, oh, damn. I can never uh, pronounce that guy's last name. Chris Kremitzos, who is the guy that started Podfest. And so Podfest is this huge convention down in Orlando. And this guy is the guy who was the creator of it. And so I, I went down there and had a meeting with him and talked with him about a couple of some things for about an hour. And then another person that I hooked, was supposed to hook up with was Matthew Cox or Matt Cox. And he came to my hotel room and I had the room that I got, I specifically got because it had a, a break off section with a, where you have the TV and the couch and all the other stuff, which is separate from, from the bed. So the bed wasn't in the way. Um, and so I set this up, he came in and we did it on location. Uh, my only, my only complaint is about myself and how, uh, it was, I had been, I think it had been an hour that we had been, uh, not an hour, but a year almost at that point that we'd been locked down or maybe a little bit over. Cause that was April, late April, uh, early May. So we were. A whole year we'd been locked down and I'd been uh, not working and on uh, disability. So I wasn't even really exercising or doing a whole lot. I was doing a lot of podcasts and you can tell. <laughs> Let's just say that. I was like, holy shit. I didn't realize it was gotten up big. Um, so, yeah, that's my only complaint with it with is is myself and, and the way that I looked and, and like how much weight I had gained over that year. But uh, yeah, it's a it's funny. The guy, Matt is funny. He has a lot of stories, and he's super animated, and just he's it's a great he's a good guy to have a as a guest. That's for sure. Uh, so check it out. And uh, with that, let's get to the show. Sean Dustin spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. Upon release in 2006, he had nothing but the clothes on his back, a bag of mail. And legal paperwork. In 2010, he kicked a longtime methamphetamine habit and started the long climb back up the ladder of life. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. If you want transparency and authenticity, you're in the right place. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. And this is Sean Dustin. All right, so 
This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and I'm your host, Sean Dustin. We're doing things a little bit different today. Uh, I'm in, actually, uh, Florida. Came down to be on a show called Concrete, uh, YouTube channel, and I think it goes to the podcast platforms itself, too, right? Yeah, I think so. And Tyler Sherman hooked this up. He's an interesting fella. Yeah. Um, I like Tyler, actually. And he hooked up some other things, and one of them was Matt Cox here, or Matthew Cox, whichever you yeah, prefer. Everybody call, ends up calling me Matt, so it yeah. doesn't matter. You know, I, <laughs> I can't fight it. I, I, mean, I know a lot of cool guys yeah. named Matt. I don't know a whole lot of cool guys named Matthew. Well, I mean, I, you know, look, bro, it's, I really, it, could be, it could be Matt, David, John, <laughs> Michael. I've been a Carter. I've been a Scott. Uh, yeah, I've been, I've been all. So yeah. it, it really doesn't matter to me. Okay. So the reason why I, I, I think that Tyler hooked us up right. is because we're both uh, formerly incarcerated people. Right. You were in federal prison for a lot longer than I was. Uh, you were actually there for doing a, some bigger financial crimes, whatever you want to call it. Uh, mine. Yeah. Fraud. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Mine was sort of fraud, but not really. Like I was a little, I was kind of a little guy in whatever I was doing. Um, I, Got in there, did three years. I actually did 18 months there, did 18 months in the state. So it was really not enough time for anything. By the time I touched down, got comfortable, it was time to leave. Right. And programs and all that other stuff are usually reserved for the people that have longer periods of time and the waiting lists and, and all that stuff. So none of that stuff ever really um, applied to me. I just went there and got my body looking good, which you probably can't tell now because I got the COVID covid 40 uh handling but whatever it'll go when i want it to go (laughs) uh yeah okay what we were talking about well we were talking about um, like i came in we started talking and then we like said we got to hurry up and turn go ahead and start recording this yeah yeah so what we were talking about is i was telling you about some of the episodes that i saw you in and one of the favorite ones where i thought was really funny was when you were doing a live with danny on concrete and you were doing your pictures that you were trying to sell and you you sold some i sold like you know i sold 16 of those did you (laughs) i've actually got two more orders so i'm doing i'm actually painting some more of them right now but yeah like that night I, i think in that video i sold uh, three or four or five, something like that. Wow. Well, you're a good artist. I mean, Appreciate you it. you do really good work, and you did some freehand stuff right on the spot there. And I, it was a really inter- entertaining episode, especially right. when they were fucking with you, and <laughs> you were getting so frustrated. Oh, it's, it's, you know, they're, they're, that's like that's their shtick is to interrupt me and ask ridiculous questions and and bug me and. You know, and then ask me like about my personal life and what's going on because Danny knows Jess and he knows my friend Stacy. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. we know, really, just because I was on the podcast, so we we know a bunch of people and we were. Um, oh, I know it was a Scientology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's right. You're talking about a girl and that you were dating, and then you were talking about. Some yeah, my girlfriend just texted me. That's what it was. Okay, okay. Yeah, my girl just texted me, and you asked, "Is that the same chick that?" You were talking about, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, that girl, like I, I went on one date with her, but what I started laughing about is that, you know, I still text her. Like we text each other now, mm-hmm. you know, she was cool. We had a good time, but I got back with my girlfriend okay. and her name's fuck all. Do you have any way for me to, like, I gotta, 
What can I do to prop this up? Uh, I don't know. What can we? Small pillow or something I can. I knew this was gonna possibly bend like this. Let's see. A book. Um, we can do this. What about just? Do you have clothes? Like a shirt or something? Oh, you know what I do. I have. Yeah. I have a shirt for you. Oh, okay. Let's use it for this first. You know, I ordered one of my own shirts on um, for Inside True Crime for my. Hopefully, uh, well, it'll shrink up and you'll be able to fit it. It's fine. It's, uh, it's my nonprofit that I started to help guys reentering from incarceration. So, now I don't even do it. Here, here. Oh, I got it. Look. Yeah. It just needs a little prop, that's all. So it just needs a... Yeah, that's fine. I'll cut were that we just, out. Weren't we just talking about uh, creative guys that have been to prison? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was going to say, I got back, so I ended up getting back with my girl Jess, and but I still text the Scientology chick, because we went out, we had a good time, she was cool. The next day, she was like, you know, look, I don't think it's going to work out. And I was like, nah, it's fine, I understand. And so, but she, we still, you know, she would text me like, Hey, what's going on? You know, have you talked to your girlfriend? And I'm like, yeah, you know, she came over last night and, or your ex-girlfriend. And I said, she came over last night and then she'd tell me about guys she's dating. And so we, we, we've been going back and forth just talking, right? Mm-hmm. Just as friends. And so the other day I was in the car with, I, my girlfriend and I, so Jess and I ended up getting back together. Okay. So we get back together and we went to church the other day. So after church, I had to go by Home Depot. Well, she had a headache. So I go, well, pull in here. I'll get you some Tylenol. She's like, all right. So we go. We get in there. And we pull in. Um, and uh, we pull in. And um, I, I, I get some Tylenol. I get back in the car. I said, all right. I said, well, let's go to Home Depot. And she goes, okay. She goes, well, on the way there, she said, you can tell me who Jen is. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm, I'm like, what? Who? And she goes, I, I, she goes, it's the, that's the Scientology girl, right? Like, I know who it is. I know it's that girl. And I, and I was like, no, I know. And she's like, are you still talking to her? And I was like, no, we text each other. I told you I'm still texting. <laughs> we're one not of really the, talking. We're right. just texting. Well, I mean, I, I told her I'm, we're still, I'm still texting. <laughs> like, she had asked me at one point. She goes, are you still talking to any of the girls that you went on dates with when we were broken up? And I went, I mean, there's one chick I text every once in a while. It's not a big deal. And mm-hmm. she's like. Doesn't mean anything, though, right? I was like, no, it's no, it's nothing. She was like, it's not going to work out. Like, she's a nice person, but you know, it's not going to happen. She's yeah, like, yeah. okay. I said, I told you about the girl. She's like, well, I didn't know it was that girl, the one girl that you actually liked. <laughs> That's the girl that you texted. I went, no, but we're just friends, and we're so. Listen, the whole and the thing is, is like because Jess is so reserved, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like she's not extremely emotional. She doesn't get upset. She doesn't get super happy. Like she's, you know. Um, middle of the road and and so she was so irritated and so upset like I felt good about it so I started laughing I'm yeah, enjoying yeah. it I'm like I'm laughing and think it's hilarious and she's like oh you think it's funny you think it's fu-? you know what? don't talk to me don't talk I'm like baby come here and I'm trying to grab her she's like stop stop it stop it you know I mean it That's was just funny. it was the whole and the well for the next couple hours it was like that we're, we're driving I'd look over and smile at her and she'd smile and then my phone someone would text me like beep beep yeah, yeah. and she'd go and she'd glare at me. I'm like, what are you doing? 
What are you glaring at? It's, 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 to, it's Tommy. What are you doing? She's like, just don't talk to me. Just don't talk. I'm like, what? what, what? <laughs> so anyway, it's a uh, yeah. So that's what happened with the with the um, with that chick. That's hilarious, bro. Dude, Scientology is crazy. Uh, it, it's not, not crazier than any other religion. Well, they're all cults. They're, <laughs> they're, they're all they're fucking religions. cults. They're all, all, all look religions. You could look. They're religions. It makes people feel good. You don't have to believe everything, you know. As long as they're not telling you to sacrifice, you know, small children. Not yet. <laughs> they did back in the day. Uh, I was uh, locked up with a dude um, when I, I did my time, my federal time in Sheridan, Oregon, which is a medium. Right. I, I'd never been to anything higher than than a medium. And this I, is in state. No, no, federal. this is federal. Federal, you said federal time. Yeah, so. FCI Sheridan is where I ended up uh, landing there. I did. I, you know, I went. I, I went to a high when I started out in state prison, but I mean, it wasn't like the the worst thing that I ever saw was somebody got doused with uh, baby oil with a hot pot. Yeah, I never saw anybody get killed. I never saw anybody do any of that other stuff, like or get raped or hurt any of the things that you know I. I have other friends that have channels that uh, other people that have been on my show where, you know, they talk about the serious shit that happens in USPs and stuff like that. So, I mean, I was lucky because I, I, I wouldn't want to hear any of that shit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen people get stabbed and, and hit with locks and beat up and stuff like that. And actually heard a guy get raped one time. Um, you know, he was in a, another cell on a top tier, and this was I was in the Marshall's holdover mm-hmm. in Atlanta, and you just hear them just kicking and screaming and mm-hmm. yelling and ha- you know just, and then the next day you realize that the dude he had raped the the one guy. Mm-hmm. They put a, a, a the, they put I almost said punk. Mm-hmm. Um, they put a gay guy in mm-hmm. with a no- regular guy, and he didn't want him in his cell, and he threw a fit. But the guards were like, "That's it, this is it," and they put him in just before lockdown. So then they're locked down, and now you're going to be in there all night. Yeah. And the guy ends up, you know, beating him up and raping him. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'd met a couple. I'd met guys that had been raped. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd met a guy that talked about how he, he basically came in as... They stuck him in with a guy that had, like, three life sentences and had already been uh, been to the state for rape. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this was a, a little white guy, and they put him in there. And I don't know what his charge was, but mm-hmm. I think he was a sex offender. Okay. And he went to the pen... So in federal prison, which almost never happens because most sex offenders in federal prison end up going to a low because most of them are not hands-on. Like they never touched anybody. They looked at pictures. Mm-hmm, See what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so they're, not, they're not like violent. Yeah. They, they're, they're sex offenders and they're, they're a danger and they're sex offenders. But they don't – they're not, they're not um, dangerous to other inmates. Mm-hmm. So, but this kid for obviously did something that ended up in a pen. Andy went to trial. Yeah. He ended up going to a pen – and while he was there, they put him in with this guy who had like two or three life sentences, and he's a little soft white guy. Mm-hmm. They put him in with this this guy that's just apparently a monster. Yeah, yeah. And you know, went in there, and and he same thing when he got to the medium, which he told everybody that asked him what his charge was. You know, hey, so what, what's it, what are you here for? He was like, oh, my my lawyer said not to talk to anybody about my charges. Okay, that's not going to fly. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, immediately we want to know now. Right. Right. Now it's a big big deal. So, but in the pen they stuck him in with this guy he was in there for a day or two the guy didn't talk to him one day he walked in he said all i remember is walking in just before count Mm -hmm. and he said i got hit in the back of the head with something and he woke up the next morning with the guards standing over him screaming 
So apparently what had happened was his celly knocked him out. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know whether it was before count or after count. Even mm-hmm. if it was – like in the pen, they don't necessarily stand up yeah, yeah. so that they could be laying down. So he could have knocked him out, put him in bed. Guards walked by, saw him, or did a very cursory count to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy raped him, so he woke up the next morning after the doors had been opened. So the guy, the his celly was in like the rec was um, was in like the rec yard at this point. Yeah, he's Before playing the, handball. Yeah, he's playing handball the next day, waiting for them to find his celly. <laughs> they find him. He's laying in the middle of the floor. He said, "Blood's everywhere," and he said, "I've been raped." Mm-hmm. And he said, "You know, just, he's sitting in a puddle of yeah, yeah." And and it actually cracked his skull. Um, and so the reason he and I had actually talked was because his face had he'd gotten he'd gotten in the medium he'd been there a month or two and one day i saw him and his face was swollen up and i go bro what happened he said oh i got and they named whatever it is apparently if you're if you're if you get a a skull fracture and Mm -hmm. it doesn't heal correctly Mm -hmm. periodically you'll get like you're you'll get swelling in your face Mm. and so he said every three or four months my face swells up for a couple of days and wow. then it goes away. Oh, it was brutal. Yeah, yeah you know. Yeah. So I mean, it's horrible. I mean, it's a it's a horrible it's a horrible environment. Yeah, for sure it is. And you know, the guards don't help. You no, know, they no, they no. they yeah. instigate a lot of the stuff, or they'll put people in certain places, or they'll come through in the middle of the night and tell a shot caller that somebody's going to drop, you know, here, or you know, somebody's coming through, or you know, a lot of the times, what were they doing? They were bringing in uh, bags of bugler. And so they would, you would have your person on the outside, uh, give them 500 bucks and they bring in a bag of bugler and then just throw it in your cell, you know, in the middle of the night. Right. And you've got to do all your rolling them up and do everything that you're doing. And, uh, it's crazy, man. They would get like 3000, uh, little pinners out of a bag of bugler and they were charging, I think a book of stamps at that time was six bucks. Yeah, Book of Stamps was ten bucks when I left. By the time I left, yeah. So yeah, it was it was pretty crazy, man. And like, what are you gonna do with the, what do they do with all those fucking stamps? They just circulate. I mean, I, I've known guys that have had. I know I've known guys that have had like four, three, four thousand dollars worth of stamps in their in their locker. I mean, just packed. It's just hidden in everything because you know the guards come in, they search. Yeah, it's yeah. just rolled up in everything. Everything the guy has. You know what they would do in ours? They would they would have some people that were working in the in the plumbing, right? They would say that there's a problem with their oh, I, I got an issue with my my toilet, and so the guys would come in and they would pull the toilets off and then shove all their fucking stamps behind there. Right, right. Yeah, I got this. Um, nice. Good. Save. I was gonna say. Well, a lot of things. Too, a lot of things too. Um, a lot of guys will just have other people. Like I've, I had buddies who were like, look, I've got like $500 in stamps. Can mm. you hold like 50 bucks worth or a hundred bucks? Or they'll give them to different people to hold. Mm. So yeah, whatever. Fucking prison currency. Yeah. Stupid. <laughs> the whole thing's just stupid. So let, let's talk a little bit about your, uh, like your story. Like what happened to you? How did you end up in, in federal prison for the amount of time that you were in? I'm innocent. Yeah, right. Um, uh, what happened? I mean, I, I owned a mortgage company and and I started committing, you know, mortgage fraud. I mean, the short version, like you know, you don't want to do a two hour version. You know, I mean, right? I mean, you know, well, do. was it? Was it? I mean, was <laughs> right. it? So, 
was it around the thing, the stuff that was happening that caused the financial no. crisis or something no. completely different? No, I always, I've always get some guy. There's always one or two guys out there that will be like, it's guys like this that caused the financial crisis. But then you don't understand what the finan- what happened with the financial crisis. You know, I wasn't on Wall Street. I didn't. Yeah, Wall Street package, caused that. I didn't package loans. I didn't come up with underwriting guidelines. I didn't, you know. Mm-hmm. Most of mine was just real estate fraud, and and there was credit card fraud, which I never really get into. Mm-hmm. Essentially, I I, I own a mortgage company. Eventually, I got in trouble for, um, I got I got charged with wire fraud because I was manufacturing or I was making, uh, pay stubs, W twos, that sort of thing. Well, I, I, what I'd end up doing was I had was also buying properties. Mm-hmm. So I there's something called seasoning. Mm-hmm. You buy a property for fifty thousand dollars and you want to refinance it. You can't buy it for fifty. Let's say it's worth a hundred thousand, but you mm-hmm. get a good deal. Mm-hmm. So you go buy you buy it for fifty. You turn around, you go straight to your bank and say, "Hey, it's worth a hundred. Can I refinance it? Pull out forty grand or fifty grand." Oh. They they say, "Well, you can, but it has to be seasoned, which means that you have to wait a year." Okay. okay. Well, the issue was, you know, even a married couple, same thing. So I was buying properties, renovating them, and it's, and I want my money back. Right? So, what happened? Did that just tilt? <laughs> what the fuck? Did that just happen? <laughs> Fucking ridiculous, man. This is so fucked up. Dude, that shit's still going, too. Huh? Yeah, it's still going. Oh, it'll go. No, no I was looking at, at the Zoom. Um, this thing. Yeah, I'm going to super glue. I'm super gluing that thing. Because I use it like that all the time because I like the way when it dips down more. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like, I prefer... Facial recognition. Oh, it stopped. That's fine. Well, I don't mind if it stops. Well, I'm just still recording. Yeah, I don't mind. That's fine. Because I'll, 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 I'll drop this whole thing into Final Cut Pro and put it all together. No, dude, I, have, I haven't used Final Cut. I use uh, yeah. Cyberlink. You're in iTunes or, or iMovie or whatever. Um, so I was using iMovie. Anyway, it's it, it works out great. So... Um, so one of the things I did was, did, did that just start tilting or had it been tilting? I have no idea. I just heard a little, Doom. I was like, what's that? That'll be funny. Cause I'll be, I'll get it later and notice that it tilted. <laughs> I have to check it every once in a while. That's what I'll have to do. So I'll do, I'll check this thing every once in a while. Whatever. So anyway, um, so to get around seasoning, I started buying properties in my own name, fixing them up, and then just selling them to my ex-wife. Because they didn't know – I mean my ex-wife, which she was my wife at the time, mm-hmm. but I, she didn't take my last name. Okay. So they have – so the, the, the lenders that were doing this to um, getting the loans through, they have no idea that she's related to me. Mm-hmm. So you can't do that because it's not an arm's length transaction, right? Mm-hmm. You know this person. Uh, and you're married to them. So <laughs> so I did that for a while. While well, I had a friend that got in trouble, and they told the authorities what I was doing. They investigated. I get indicted. Mm-hmm. You know, I get three years paper, but I can't own the mortgage company anymore. Okay. So I get rid of the mortgage company. Well, I, I actually transfer it to a friend of mine. He's, he's, I'm still kind of running it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I start flipping houses. I figure I'm just going to flip houses full time because I was doing it on the side. Yeah. You know, if you're a mortgage broker, or you're a realtor, you're usually typically coming across deals and you're either flipping houses or you're or you're buying rental properties or whatever. I was doing everything. Mm-hmm. So um, 
so I ended up, you know, I, I got rid of the mortgage company, but I'm still kind of running it and getting a, a check, but it's not enough, right? So I got divorced from my wife at the time. And so we got divorced and I, you know, I have to, I, I, I start saying, I started saying, you know, what am I going to do? I'm going to flip properties, but it sucks. Flipping properties sucks. Yeah. It's a bunch of work. You end up being a construction worker and you don't make that much money and you have all the responsibility. <laughs> yeah. And so you end up thinking you're, every time, every deal I got, I thought I'm going to buy this, fix it up, do this, make 30, 40 grand. Mm-hmm. You end up making 20, half what you think. And it's twice as much of a problem. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, you know what I need to do? And then it's always uh, the appraisals are always an issue. Like you know, it doesn't appraise high enough. It's always an issue. You bought the property for forty thousand. Mm-hmm. Now you're trying to sell it for a hundred. What happened? The lenders start asking too many questions. It's a whole issue. So I decided if I could get the air, get the houses to appraise higher, mm-hmm. then that would alleviate that issue for me. Okay. And this is an area where the houses are appraising for eighty to one hundred thousand. You can buy a rehab for forty. Yeah. Or fifty, so I was going. So I started going in, and I thought, okay, if I buy them for forty or fifty, but I record the sale of the property at two hundred thousand instead of a hundred, or instead of forty, I recorded at two hundred. The whole area should go up, and I'll have all these comparable sales to get higher appraisals. <laughs> that seems reasonable. So the second problem with what that that creates is an issue because now who am I going to sell these to? For two hundred thousand dollars, because I can't record it at two hundred and then go and start selling them for a hundred, yeah, 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 or even one ten, because it'll bring the area back down. And now you've got these huge variable, you know, this, this huge variation, yeah, uh, in sales price, and that causes more questions. So I have to sell them for two hundred thousand. But if I record the values and if I can get them appraised for two hundred, I need to continue the sales for two hundred. So what I did was I thought, so who's going to buy them? No legitimate customer is going to buy them for mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? Uh, what I decided was I would go ahead and I would just create my own buyers. You know, that's easy enough. Like I, I figure I can do that, right? So I, I start creating, they call them synthetic identities, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was no such thing as a synthetic identity back then. Like there wasn't a name for it. It was just, you know, they were yeah. like, we call them phantom borrowers, you know? We, so I, I figured out how to get social <laughs> security yeah. to issue me social security numbers to children that don't exist. Right, so like get a, I, ma- I would make a birth certificate for like a ten month old baby, mm-hmm. and make a shot record for that baby, and then I'd go into Social Security, and tell them my child was born, but not at a hospital with a midwife at home, and the pediatrician or you know whatever you know told me to, to go down with th- this <laughs> and get a get a shot, and she and then they, w- I mean, I, uh, Social Security issued. Social Security number issued, and then Social Security would say, "Well, he really should have done it." And I go, "Well, as he told me to come down here and for me to you to do it." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, "Well, okay." They'd look at it, and I fill out the SS five <laughs> form. They'd look at it, and they boom, they issue me a Social Security card. So I get the Social Security number. And then I go online and I apply for a couple credit cards. Mm-hmm. I get denied. There's no credit history. Yeah. And I'm rec- I'm not saying this is a ten month old child. I'm saying it's like a thirty five year old man. Mm-hmm. Well, that creates a credit profile. Yeah, yeah. That credit profile is now live on the bureaus. So I then, but I can't. I don't get a credit card. Obviously, I got yeah. turned down. They're saying there is no history of this person. But 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 it's so locking in that this card this, this does is, well. No no, this person does exist. So there is a person with this name, this date of birth, this social security number that lives at this address. But they don't have any credit. Mm-hmm. But the profile now exists. Okay. 
And so if you apply with Bank of America, SunTrust, all these different banks, and they turn you down. Eventually, one of them says, hey, you know what, though? We won't give you a credit card, but we'll give you a secured credit card. Yeah. So if you put up 500 bucks or 400 bucks, we'll give you a secured credit card. And you go, you know what? I'll do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I get three of those, one from Bank of America, one from First Premier Bank, one from Capital One. And I just made the payments. Well, after six months, I have 700 credit scores. Mm-hmm. You only needed at that time a 620 credit score to get uh, to get a, a conventional loan. You need three trade lines and a 620 credit score. You had to be on your job for two years. You had to have two years residency. You know, prove that you've been somewhere for two years and been paying. Mm-hmm. And um, and you have to have your down payment. Or if you own the house, you just have to have owned it. You could have owned it for a month. You can refinance it at whatever the price is you bought it for. So I start buying the houses in the names of these people. That seems like an awful lot of like to have to do prior. So here, here's my question. A lot of setup. Yeah, it's yeah. A, lot, a lot of setup and a lot of maintenance to to get that and my question is so what you're saying is is you got these these uh social security numbers it doesn't register that so when you go to apply for something once you enter a date of birth of a 35 year old even though it doesn't there's no the the date of birth of a 10 month old child is yeah, but uh, you're you're thinking what most people think, right? Do you, do you really think that the Social Security Administration shares their that information with the credit bureaus? No, or, not, that's what, that's what I'm saying. That, that's don't. the loophole, right? They don't. Okay. Okay. The, the the reason the reason Equifax knows anything about you is because you told them. Okay. Right. At some point, you applied for a credit card. Legit, legitimately. Okay, and they and said that's when they come. Oh, this person right. that yeah. starts Sean their Dustin profile with this date of birth, this social security number, and this address wants a credit card. Oh, you know what? He doesn't have any credit. No. Okay. Or it's a car, and they said, well, you know, he doesn't have any credit, but he's putting down thirty percent. And they said, okay, give him. Does he? Does he have W twos and pay stubs or W or pay stubs? Mm-hmm. Yes. Call and verify. Yes, he's got it. Okay, great. Give him a twenty two percent interest rate and <laughs> let him have the car because even if he doesn't pay. He put down thirty percent. We'll re- we'll get our money back when we take the car back. So they gave you they gave it to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They reported. Now you've got a car, a car loan. Okay. Then okay. two months later, you apply for or, or suddenly you got something in the mail from Bank of America and it said, hey, he's pre pre approved. You're mm-hmm. or you're pre pre qualified for a credit card. You filled out the thing and you sent it in and you got a five hundred dollar credit card. Now you have a credit card on your bureau. Okay. okay. So it's all because of what you told them. All right. So you hear that, people. So any of you future future uh, criminals out there that are going to do this, there's a loophole for oh, you. There, there's tons <laughs> of loopholes. I mean, all these people that like all that setup. Mm-hmm. You need that setup. I needed that setup because you have to understand that once these guys, I was getting these guys to buy four, five and six houses. Yeah, yeah. So they're buying five houses in their name. Okay. I'm buying a house for forty grand in in a guy named Brandon Green's name. So Brandon Green now owns four houses that I bought for forty and fifty thousand dollars a piece, mm-hmm. but recorded the value at two hundred, two ten, two hundred five, one ninety. So it looks like he owns about a million dollars in real estate. Mm-hmm. He's got three credit cards. He's got a seven hundred credit score. He's been on a job for five years. I can make the W twos and pay stubs. Mm-hmm. You can call and verify his employment. Somebody answers the phone. Somebody verifies it. Um, as far as uh, he he rents from this property management company, or I've got canceled checks, or whatever. So he looks perfect. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I don't even need a bank account. 
I, not that I didn't have bank accounts for yeah, these yeah. guys, but I didn't need one because he owns the house already. So he just had, all I need is an appraiser to come out, take some pictures, and leave. I, I did my own appraisals because most of the houses we didn't even clean up inside. <laughs> like we, we would clean up the outside of the house, and I'd get my own appraiser to go out and do it. And I'd say, hey, you can't go in. Or, or, or the appraiser knew me, and I was like, look, just take pictures of the outside. Bro. Yeah, yeah. And they go, okay, no problem. And they'd, give me, they'd say, hey, man, this thing appraised for 210 or 190 I'd be like, okay, great. Oh, the guy just bought it for Matt. Matt, the guy just bought it for one ninety five. I got it to appraise at at two oh one. Okay, great. He's using the other comparable sales in the area that I created. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's hilarious. So now I can turn around, and take get a complete package on this guy, mm-hmm. his appraisal, his W twos and pay stubs, his canceled checks for his rent, right? A mm-hmm. couple of a uh, couple bank statements. Send it all in his credit report send it all into countrywide bank and countrywide bank says we'll lend them $180,000 on a piece of property i have 40 for buying it mm-hmm. 10 for renovating the outside cleaning up the outside mm-hmm. and that, that's all i've got in it so you're 50,000 in yeah i'm 50 grand in and i get a loan for 180 and i make 130 plus the guy's got and i do this with five different houses <laughs> plus he's got by this point I'm applying for credit cards. And of mm-hmm. course, countrywide, it was, I always loved countrywide because you would put down or you would, they would refinance you. And as soon as they refinanced you, they automatically would then have like the bank send you a pre qualified thing saying, hey, you're pre qualified for a $20,000 credit card. Yeah. Like they know you just got a, a property, you refinance it and it has 20 or 30000 in equity. So here's a $20,000 credit card. Mm. Plus, of course, I have my other credit cards. And then I'd apply for a bunch of credit cards. I'd make a bunch of payments on all the houses for two or three months. Mm-hmm. And then I'd stop paying. So when they all went into foreclosure, yeah, I would then – I had pulled a, an article out of the um, Tampa Tribune mm-hmm. where there was like a, a like a 10-car pileup or something. And someone had been life-flighted to Tampa General Hospital. Mm-hmm. And I just – Re, I just retyped the article and put my guy's name in there as the guy that was life flighted. I'd then print out the article. I'd then write a letter from his sister, his fake sister. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd write a letter from his fake sister. So when the, when the collection agency started writing letters, I'd send that letter to the collection agency saying, look, my brother was in a car accident. Here's a copy of the article. He was life flighted to Tampa General Hospital. The doctors say he's in a coma. Even if he comes out of the coma, he'll never work again. Mm-hmm. Just go ahead and take the house. And they, they, they take the house. They've got an explanation for what happened. Yeah, that's yeah. It. It's over. They didn't want to, huh. That's so, pretty smart. We did that for, <laughs> I borrowed in the name of, I don't know, seven or eight different guys. I borrowed $11.5 million, is what the FBI said. So Wow. And how much, how much time do you get for that? Well, th- I got for that. <laughs> then I took off on the run. Then eventually the FBI shows up, mm-hmm. starts asking questions. I had another buddy who got caught in a bank committing a bank fraud, and he uh, worked with a task force. They told him, look, I, yeah, this is what I did, but I know about a guy. <sighs> Here's what he's doing. So he works with a task force. They watch me. And keep in mind, I'm on federal probation. Mm-hmm. So they put together this task force, and they once they've got it completely wrapped up, like, mm-hmm. okay, we definitely know this is what's happening. This is who it is. They realize, okay, well, it's, it's all over the place. Like, these are banks he's borrowing from, in, banks in California and South Carolina and, like, all these different banks. There's, you know, 40, 50, 60 banks he's involved with. Yeah. 
So they hand it to the FBI. And the FBI is about to come arrest me, and I have a buddy who's a sheriff's deputy who comes to me and says, listen, you're going to be arrested. He, t- he knows because he was dating a chick that was on the Tampa task force. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So she tells him, your buddy Matt's going to be arrested. We just gave the task force uh, inf- all the information to the FBI. They're going to come get him in a couple of days. So he shows up and says, hey, man, they're going to come arrest you. So I take off on the run, of course, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's the rational thing to do. That's what you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, that's, that's what all I yeah. did. I did. But they were stupid enough to let me out three days after I, I got uh, on my on an OR. Um, after they blew the doors off and blew the windows out and came in to, to get me. So. Yeah, I didn't want to stick around for that. <laughs> that doesn't seem like, you know, didn't seem like a good time to me. So I took off. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I took off and I, I didn't have much money. I, I only had like a day's warning. So mm-hmm. pulled out like 80 grand. You know, we probably had a million or so in the bank. Plus we had an, at least a million or so in real estate that, we, that I owned. Yeah. Uh, at least one or two million. So I take off. And uh, I take off. I go to I go to Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I uh, by this point I figured out how to make how to make driver's licenses or mm-hmm. get the DMV to issue me a driver's license. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could get a driver's license. I've had two dozen passports. Let me give you an example. I've had about twenty seven different IDs in mm-hmm. seven different states. I've had nearly two dozen passports. Been while on the run, in and out of the country as different people. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've been to. Croatia, Italy, Greece. I've been to Bermuda, Jamaica, Mexico, you know, all while on the run. Okay. So I take off and I go to Atlanta, Georgia, and I don't have much money. So I, I rent a house from a guy worth about 200000 And I go downtown. I go downtown to public records and I satisfy the loans on the house. So I rented a house from you, let's say. Mm-hmm. I then go downtown and I look up your, your house, your title. Mm-hmm. I see you've got two, two mortgages with the Bank of America. Mm-hmm. So I then, apply, I then write up, do a satisfaction of mortgage from Bank of America. I make one. I forge one. Mm-hmm. And then I record it in public records. So it looks like those mortgages are paid off. So now you own that house free and clear. Mm-hmm. I then make an ID with your name. I then call multiple uh, – hard money lenders and three of them have them come out on different days. Mm -hmm. Each one says I'll lend you $150,000. I then have a closing like one on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday with each one. They each lend me 150. I walk away with around $400,000, pull out the money, pull it out in cash, take off a couple weeks later, the, uh, secret service shows up. Uh, by that point, I was doing, I was running another scam in South Carolina. I borrowed like one point three million in South Carolina. I ended up getting arrested in South Carolina. Wachovia Bank stumbled across what I was doing, and they actually grabbed me in the bank and handcuffed me. Really? They handcuffed me as Gary Sullivan. I was by this point, I was I was surveying homeless people and then getting credit, getting driver's licenses in their name. So I bought two houses in the name Gary Sullivan. I borrowed one point three million. I'm pulling out money. As Gary Sullivan, yeah, yeah. well, Wachovia figures it out. It's, it's a little bit convoluted, but they end up accidentally figuring it out. Mm-hmm. And so they have me arrested. Like the cops come in, they grab me, they arrest me, and I convince them that the bank has made a mistake. Clearly the loan officers did something illegal here. Mm-hmm. wasn't me. 
my name's Gary Sullivan, and they ran me through NCIC. I have no warrants. They, the yeah, the right. cop doesn't really understand what's happening. Uh, the guy from Wachovia is screaming at him, telling him that my 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 license or my ID that I have is is in a real ID, and mm-hmm. it was. Yeah, yeah. So he really screwed up when he said that. Yeah. Because now it's like you're saying this isn't an ID, and this is an ID that was issued in South Carolina to Gary Sullivan. This is Gary Sullivan. There's no warrants. You're starting to sound like you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Because this is an ID. You're saying, it's not an ID. That's not a real ID. That's not really Gary Sullivan. It's a fake ID. And he's like, no. It was issued because you went down there. It was issued from the DMV. DMV. <laughs> the problem was in South Carolina, their their IDs start with 000. Mm-hmm. And so he's from California. He thinks that doesn't look right. It's got to be a fake ID. It's like a 000 44021. It's like, no, no, that's wrong. That's yeah, the- yeah. You're in California. Every fucking state has a different ID. Yeah. So what are you thinking? You know? Mm-hmm. Anyway, it, it, the point is, it doesn't look good for him. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't believe him. He makes a mistake. They bring me downtown. I fill out a report that let me go. I get in my car. I go to two board banks, pull out some more money, and leave. <laughs> um, what happened then? Then I went to North Carolina. But, Almost, at this, but at this point, you're you're on the run, so you're like, I don't, I don't three years. Like, I don't give a fuck. I mean, you're, when yeah, you catch I mean, me, you're going to catch me, and and whatever happens, right. happens. Oh, I'm listen. I'm I'm in in Charlotte. I uh, the U.S. Marshals almost caught me in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually showed up at my apartment complex once again, just a fluke. Mm-hmm. Uh, turns out that the cop in South Carolina had gotten my tag number to a vehicle I had registered in somebody else's name in Charlotte, North Carolina. So they tell the FBI, FBI, Secret Service, they tell the U.S. Marshal, U.S. Marshals track it back, mm-hmm. go to my apartment complex. I happen to be in a Starbucks across the street. People in my apartment complex, the leasing agents, had just been interviewed by the U.S. Marshals, walked across the street where I was and see me. They run back across the street <laughs> to tell the U.S. Marshals. Yeah. By that point, I get in my car, and I happen to look behind me as the Marshals are running at my car. And one of the guys from the apartment complex is screaming, he's right here, he's right here, and I take off. Yeah, Boom. Yeah. I went straight to a homeless facility and interviewed uh, three more guys and got another ID. <laughs> Within a week, I have a new ID. I go to Nashville, uh, rent an apartment. Start a business, you know, a, a fake business. Buy a bunch of houses. Borrow three point five million dollars. <laughs> so my girlfriend, the chick I'm dating at the time, I meet this chick and we start sleeping with this other girl. Mm-hmm. That girl ends up um, finding out who I am. Mm-hmm. We knew Dateline was about to come out. <sighs> you have to understand. At this point, there's been like fifty, sixty articles. Like I've been in the Chicago Tribune, I've been in the Tampa Tribune, I've been in the Atlanta Journal Constitution. I've been. It's, it, there's articles everywhere. Forbes, uh, Fortune Magazine had come out. I was in Bloomberg. Did a couple articles. So I'm about to be on Dateline. I'm, I'm basically now. I'm just like I got to get out of the country for, for yeah, good. Yeah. Pulling money out. I'm gonna take off. My girlfriend ends up telling the girl we're sleeping with what I'm about to do. Mm-hmm. She calls and who I really am. She calls the secret service. Secret service comes and arrests me. Did she get a, a reward? She, I she was supposed to get like 10 grand. I don't, I don't think she ever got the 10 grand because the girl that I got caught, another chick that I got, that I had taken off with mm-hmm. uh, who had been caught before me. Um, she told me that she was, they, that she was trying to get her parents to pay like $10,000 mm-hmm. and her parents wouldn't pay for it. I always thought she got the 10,000. Because I'd heard she had had done it for a ten thousand dollar reward, when in fact she never got the money. So I mean that's kind of stupid because if that person really like you would have, 
if, oh, if she, if she, if she, you would have given her twenty grand. Oh, twenty. I'd have given her. I'd have given her half a million dollars. I'd have given her all the cash we had. Yeah. Like, just give me a ten minute head start. Like, I can't stay here now. You know who I am. Mm-hmm. I know you, this is something you're thinking about. Here's the money. Don't say anything. And then I, of course, pack my bags and leave. Yeah. She could call twenty minutes later. I just need a, a head start. Yeah, yeah. I just need to get out of your line of sight. <laughs> And I'm gone. I mean, I already had false passports. And yeah. you know, when they caught me, I had like six passports in different names. So how high up on the most wanted list did you uh, end up? I was, I mean, I was on the FBI's most wanted list. I was on the U.S. Marshal's most wanted list. And I was number one on the Secret Service's most wanted list. Wow. I think Danny on Concrete said that I was, uh, I was, uh, he said like I was number one on the FBI's most wanted list. And he just got it wrong. Yeah. But it's funny because now everybody uses that. Number one on the FBI's. What? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was number one on the Secret Service. But, you know, whatever. Yeah, that's who screwed me. It was the Secret Service. Uh, I was telling you the story. <laughs> right. I, and everything that I was doing was like small potatoes, right? Right. Nothing even close to like what you were doing or what Boziak was doing. I was on like the little, the little guy, like – almost getting my feet wet in that pond to maybe be able to do bigger things like that, but never got around to it. Like yeah, I did drugs involved. It's, it's, you know, you're, you're getting enough money mm-hmm. to get the drugs to then turn around and do it again, get drugs. Get, you know, it's just, a, it yeah. begins to cycle. Like most of the guys I know that had potential to do a larger scheme, not that it's a good thing, but that had the potential to do it. Mm-hmm. If they, if they were drugs were involved, they never even get off the ground because yeah. it, it's simply, the crime is just a a, a means to obtain mm-hmm. drugs. Yeah, it's, it's just a cycle, so you just never really go anywhere as a result. Yeah. So anyway, but you were saying, sorry. No, 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 no. You're right. You're right. Um, I was, you know, doing a habit and trying to support a habit and habit for a girl too. And you know, I the one thing that I did realize though that I was different than everybody else is that I was undiagnosed ADHD. So when I would do meth. I would zero in on stuff and I would complete it and, and like run at it, stay up three days at a time until I completed what I was trying to do and then, you know, go on. But I mean, I never really, you can't like, I did some cool things, but at the same time, I just never really like shot out right? just because of the, the addiction and everything else that was involved with it. Like I remember I was doing counter, I was doing this, this stuff that you're talking about, like making pay stubs and, and all the other things, but I was doing it to get into like renting houses, you know? Uh, yeah. I, I think lots of people do that to qualify for mm-hmm. a house or to qualify for an apartment or to get a car. Mm-hmm. Like lots of people will make pay stubs to get like mm-hmm. whatever. Um, it's not you hard. Know, it, it's it's not hard now. You know, you know, how to you know work Photoshop. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's not that. Well, I mean, it, you know, you can go on on like uh, there's all these paste paste up generators now. Like you can do all kinds of stuff now. Yeah. Uh, it was more difficult then. Uh, I remember initially I was actually cutting and pasting together the actual paste stubs, oh. and then I then I got um, was it? Uh, so you were doing manually. Oh yeah, initially. <laughs> You know, like because most of the time, like my customers would come and they have a W two. It's just they made forty two thousand last year, and if they made forty seven thousand, mm-hmm. they get a loan. Yeah. Um, but you know, like Quicken and, and those types of of that software started coming out, mm-hmm. and so then we switched. To, I, I switched to that software to where I just start typing in the numbers and and doing it that way. It's the same thing. Like I initially was making these, uh, making bank statements for. I would clone bank statements 
for, let's say, SunTrust Bank or Bank of America or someone like that. And then I got to the point where, you know, and because typically if they get the original bank statements, the the lender doesn't call the bank. Well, I have his original bank statements. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I would actually white it out, Bank of America bank statements, SunTrust, uh, um, credit union, all kinds of different bank statements. Like I had probably seven or eight different types. Mm-hmm. Whited out all the information and then made copies of them, color copies. Mm-hmm. And then I would have templates on, so on my computer – and I could change it to whatever I wanted and print it out on the banks on the color copy, you know, color copy, so it looks like real bank statements, like yeah, they're yeah. in color. Mm-hmm. And so you fold them up, and I would have the envelopes, and you put them in the envelope, and mm-hmm. you tear up the envelope, and you so take this and send it to the lender. The mm-hmm. lender would call us and say, "Hey, you sent us his original, you know, bank statements." And we go, "Oh gosh, I can't, but we must have. Sorry, the secretary or the the processor made a mistake." Go ahead and send those back, but they've seen them. And so they would make a copy, Mm -hmm. and they'd stamp like certified copy. So they don't call the lender Mm -hmm. to say, hey – or the lender doesn't call the bank to say, is the money really there? Or does he have an account? Why would I? I just saw his original bank statements. Of course he does. Yeah. Original bank statements. So – but then I got to the point where I was like, you know, this is getting to be a problem because every once in a while they might call. What if they do call? You know, it could be an issue. So – uh, you know, or we'd have them call and they'd say they would say, "Hey, did he have this much? Is his average balance this last month?" And they would say, uh, "No." Mm-hmm. Well, what was it close? No, because this is what I have. Nope, not even close. Mm. Okay, thank you. And they'd hang up the phone. They look. I don't know what's going on. And of course, I immediately go, "Are you are you suggesting that my customer gave me bad information?" You know, I can't. Yeah, I yeah, didn't yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah, my yeah. customer gave it to yeah. me. That's crazy. <laughs> um. So I was like, this is an issue. So then I went ahead and I started uh, making online bank accounts. No, no. I was, oh. oh, dude, that was funny. I looked at it. Right I know. Just as soon as you looked away, it, it cut off. So then I, I ended up I ended up making online uh, banks. So I, I started making like Southern Exchange Bank of you know, Clarksville mm-hmm. uh, or, or um, e- uh, Bank of Ebor. Right, and then you could go to the and I clone. I would clone a bank website, and I just change all the names, make a very simple like a four or five page, um, you know, website. So you could actually go to the bank of Ebor. Mm-hmm. There was a bank of Ebor. You, know, you could you, it said it on the. I started making my own bank statements. I just yeah, yeah. played with it and Photoshop and created my own template mm-hmm. and put the bank of Ebor, put the the put the actual website and the whole thing. And so now the underwriter can actually go to the bank, then go to the website. And they can call the number that's online. Well, that's me. Yeah, it goes to you, right? So it's <laughs> so now I'm answering the phones myself or my secretary, or you know we're we're returning the calls ourselves, and we're absolutely he has forty five hundred dollars in the bank. Yeah, no, that's what he had last month. Absolutely, and the month before that I was forty two hundred and thirty two dollars. You know, yeah, yeah. And so so that I started doing that instead, and that that helped. I mean, plus then the other thing was you know. When you when I started making my own fake people, it just everything became fake. Like their 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 businesses are fake. Mm-hmm. Everything's fake. Started buying businesses like shelf, you know, comp, uh, businesses that have been around for seven or eight years. You know, they had people had stopped paying. Like they they'll stop paying their their yearly fee. Mm-hmm. And then so after three years, that corporation's now available to be purchased, but you okay. have to pay the back fee. Yeah, yeah. So you have to pay like seven hundred bucks. <clears throat> So I pay seven hundred bucks, but I now get a company that's seasoned. It's been around for seven or eight years. Mm. Somebody bought it, ran it for four years, stopped making the payments. Obviously, they don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. They let it go into default, you know, or, or 
go um, inactive. I now catch those payments up. I've now, when you look at my tax ID number, it looks like I've owned the place for seven years. Hmm. How'd you figure out all this stuff? Just a little slowly over time. Just, you know, trial and error, getting caught, getting around it, talking to underwriters, talking to, you know, different people. You end up, you just slowly figure it out. And then as other people get caught, you find things out like, you know, some some account executive would come in. They'd say, oh, my gosh, did you hear what happened over at, you know, Mile Street Mortgage? You go, no, what happened? You can't believe this. Here's what they were doing. And you're like, oh, is that possible? How'd they catch them? Well, they caught them because of this. Yeah, and you yeah. go, oh, so that's how they check that. Yeah, they check this and this. So if they'd actually registered it here, we wouldn't have never known. Oh, oh put that in the bank. Good to know. Yeah. Note to self. That's funny. Yeah, good times. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, what was the coolest thing that you did with the money that you that you stole? Nobody says that. I didn't do anything. Like, yeah. I, I literally didn't. Everybody's always like, well, you know, I talked to a guy the other day. He's like, what kind of car were you driving? I mean, not like an Audi, mm-hmm. you know? Not like an Audi, like an RS whatever, 300000 like a $90,000 Audi. You so know? you looked like you were living within your means. Absolutely. And, and I'm not flashy. Not flashy, flaunting. You know, oh, where'd you live? You know, I typically lived in, in the same areas I'm flipping houses. Or or I'd live downtown, like in downtown Charlotte. I lived in downtown Charlotte. Um, I, you know, in, in a condo that's probably worth a million dollars now. But back then it was probably worth half a million dollars. You know, so it was a nice condo. It was, okay. it was, But it wasn't flashy. It wasn't crazy. It wasn't a penthouse. It was just like a three-bedroom, I mean a two-bedroom, two-bath condo mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know it's nice it was nice but i'm not that guy if you Modest. gave me right if you gave me 10 million dollars i'm not going to be driving a lamborghini tomorrow I'm, I'm just not i'm not going to drive a lamborghini i'm going to drive something that's nice but probably still not going to spend 100 grand on a vehicle i might get a range rover probably yeah, get a range rover yeah, range rover yeah. Yeah. yeah but that's not going to be outrageous and nobody's really going to look and they don't look much different than a cherokee yeah so what's you know i'm not I'm not trying to scream, especially at that time. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. Some guy robs a bank and gets $5 million, and the next thing you know, he's driving a Ferrari and living in a $2 million house, and his kids are going to private school, and he's wearing gold, and he's taking vacations and buying everybody he knows drinks. And, mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. where'd you get the money? Oh, uh, 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 I won it at Vegas, or I, I, I won the lottery, or, or any other number of things. Gee, that's funny because you got all this money, start spending all this money. The two days after that bank was robbed, you know what I'm saying? It's like it's the guy. Oh, that wasn't me. What are you? People are just stupid. Well, I mean, if you think about it, like think about the people that have. Like I know, I've met a lot of people that were wealthy, and you would never know that they were wealthy. Oh yeah, every hard money. You know, the hard money guys have got like a half million, million, two million dollars to lend. Mm-hmm. So every one of those guys I've met, they're always driving like a five-year-old vehicle. You know, they're they're wearing they're wearing old blue je- blue jeans mm-hmm. and faded shirts. And <laughs> you always look at them, you're like, you look like you're homeless. Like yeah, you yeah. don't look like you know. They're not flashy. They're no, they're you know. That's how you make your money. You don't spend a lot. You're humble and you're you know and and you're patient and and you work hard and you're you're smart with your money and. That's at least how, that's how you keep it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. So, when you go to prison, and th- this is the interesting part to me when you're there, uh, how do you get involved in writing books? Because I counted them, and 
you've written like 10 or 12 different stories from from guys that are, like you have 12 books right or 10 no i have no i have i have like tw- about 20 different stories but mm-hmm. physical books like on audible and on amazon that you can buy there's seven seven okay so because i looked at your your youtube your YouTube page. You oh, yeah, have yeah. some of those on there. And I, I have like well, counting different people that. No, what I have on there is I have. Um, those are just some of the stories. Yeah. Those are synopses of some of the stories. So it's a short version of the story that I put up so that people can. You know, you don't want to read a. You don't want to one buy buy it and listen to it ten hours or mm-hmm. read a three hundred page book, but you want to hear the story and you maybe you heard me talk about it. Mm-hmm. Well, in an hour, I'll tell you the story. I give you like a an, abri- an abridged version okay. of the story within an hour, and and it's free, and you can go on YouTube and listen to them on my channel, which is uh, Inside True Crime. Okay, and so these are stories from guys that you were locked up with, and like yeah. how did that all like transpire? Did you just started? I- Hearing stories and go, hey man, this is an interesting story. Well, Can I? No, I've been on Dateline mm-hmm. and I've been on American Greed, mm-hmm. and so guys are seeing this and guys are saying, and guys in prison, you know, you hear lots of stories, and so guys are telling me, you ought to write your own. You know, they're like, you bro, you ought to write a book. You ought to write a book. You ought to write a book. Yeah. And and so I decided, you know, finally I said, well, you know, I am going to write a book. So I go ahead and I'm going to write it. So I wrote wrote my story, and then when I was finishing my story. There was a guy, everybody started reading my story, right? So I just had the manuscript, but guys are reading it. They're passing it around. And so, and and I'd been in, by that point, I'd been in like Playboy magazine and I'd been in Fortune and Forbes. I'd been in a bunch of these different magazines had done articles on me. And that's while you're in prison. While I'm in prison. So I wrote my story called Shark in the Housing Pool and I started letting guys read it. Well, this guy showed up. I'd read an article in Rolling Stone magazine called... um, Oh gosh, it was called uh, 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 "Dudes in Ammo" or um, I forget. It was it was it was about these two stoner Jewish stoner kids in Miami that were selling ammunition. Mm-hmm. And so, oh, arms and dudes, arms and dudes. It was in Rolling Stone. So, well, one of the kids, one of the guys, shows up at at uh, at Coleman, and his name's Ephraim Deveroli, and he and so. He he was played by Jonah Hill in the movie War Dogs. Okay. Well, he showed up, and I'd read this article on him, and I went and I saw him, and I said, "Hey, man, I read that article in Rolling Stone." He's like, "Yeah, yeah." Oh, you know. And I said, "Well, look, have you thought about writing um, a book, like a memoir?" He's like, "Nah, I'm ADHD. I could never do that, and it's too much." Yeah, same thing. I've heard it. Same thing you said. <laughs> yeah, um, right. So he's like, "Yeah, I can't." I'm like, "Yeah, well, it's not hard. You know, you just have to write an outline, and that you could take a month to do that if you want, and then slowly write the stories. And before you know, it'll be done. Nah, I don't have time for all that." And and he he was like, "I really just want it to all go away, yeah, right?" Yeah. You know, he it was in it was in the Rolling Stone, but it wasn't a movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I was like, "Okay." So anyway, a couple months later, he he finds out that the story got sold. The Rolling Stone story got sold. Mm-hmm. So he says, "So we start talking," and he says, "Look, I'm." I convince him to write a uh, write a book. Mm-hmm. So I ended up writing his story. It's called um, it's called Once a Gunrunner. Mm-hmm. I, I end up writing his story, and after I write that one, the movie War Dogs. He gets out, and War Dogs comes out, mm-hmm. which was based on the article. Okay. Uh, he then sues them and sues Warner Brothers and tells Warner Brothers that they got a hold of his manuscript, which they actually did. 
uh, and they settle with him. I get out and sue Devaroli because he never paid me. Mm-hmm. So I sue him. He pays me. Um, it, so, but in the meantime, after he left, when, when he was leaving prison, I, I was approached by a guy named Marcus Shrinker, and I write his story. He says, "Hey, man, you know, you might want to write my story next. I don't know if you're what you're doing." I was like, "Yeah, let me hear your story." So I write his story. Mm-hmm. It's a story I call it's called a bailout. Um, what is this? Thirty-seven minutes. Nice. Uh, so then I wrote a story called um, – it was called Oxy Rush. It ended up being Generation Oxy, mm-hmm. uh, and it was with these kids, uh, Doug Dodd and, and, and a bunch of other kids that were selling uh, oxycodone here in Hudson, Florida. Okay. And they were, they were doctor shopping and selling oxycodone, and then they start shipping it to the colleges like all of his buddies his high school buddy they were all wrestlers Mm -hmm. and they end up like three or four of them get scholarships to different colleges so he stays and runs this little enterprise and he ships all the pills up to them and they ship money (laughs) back in like teddy bears yeah yeah i mean so it's a whole thing it's a ridiculous ring it's a bunch of clean cut kind of trailer park trash kind of white white kids Mm -hmm. you know selling oxys and I couldn't. I end up getting them into Rolling Stone magazine. Get an article written on Rolling Stone magazine. We option the film rights to the story, mm-hmm. and I end up getting a, a a book deal from Skyhorse Publishing. Mm-hmm. So I write that book. Uh, then I wrote. Then I wrote Bent, which is John Boziak's story. Yeah, yeah. Then I wrote. I mean, it just it goes like it goes on and on and on. You know, I mean, I I, I wrote like twenty some odd stories. Some of them I ended up writing full-length books. Mm-hmm. Some just ended up being, you know, ten or fifteen thousand word stories. So Boziak is actually a book. It's a wrote. book and a synopsis. I have his synopsis is on my my website. And you're actually doing something bigger with that too, right? Yeah, we we uh, there's a production company. They did a sizzle reel mm-hmm. with him. So the sizzle reel was done. Uh, a sizzle reel is what you make before you actually make a film. So there was a sizzle reel done, and now they're shopping it to actually uh, get it turned into a, a full-length hybrid documentary, like a docudrama where they have reenactments and everything cut with interviews with him and, and other people that were involved. Uh, and that looks like that's going to happen. Uh, I have another story that I'm also doing, another one of my stories. There's supposed to be a sizzle reel done on two other ones, too, that are supposed to be done. So, you know, I'm, I'm doing that, and, and I, I paint. and So, anyway, when I got out, by the time I got out of prison, I had all these books that were written. Yeah, yeah. And so I got out, and I, you know, of course, you can have it written. Now you still, it's still difficult. You still, now you have to get it, you know, you're walking out with a manuscript. So then I have to retype everything, mm-hmm. or I have to have typed, some of them I typed while I was in prison. You have to put it all back together. You have to get the book published. You have to, so it's been, that's what I've been doing since I got out. And I got out less than two years ago, and I've. Put almost all of them are on uh, are on Amazon at this point. That's pretty cool. I mean, I've been I'm stru- you know I'm, I'm it's a struggle, but I mean I'm you know putting it all together, so it's working out. So it might work out. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a struggle, but you're doing what you want to do. Yo, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, look, I, I could have easily gotten out and gone and got a job making fifty or a hundred thousand dollars or something. I've had guys offer me. Uh, I got a buddy that offered me a job that would have paid me about eighty thousand. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem with that job is I would have had to gone to Seattle, Washington, yeah. 
and my mom lives in Tampa, so I can't. Well, and, and two, I'd be working 40 hours a week. So how do I work a normal job 40, 50 hours a week and still be able to do all these other things that I'm trying to do? Can't. All right. So instead what I did was I, I started painting. I have a degree in fine arts from USF, so I started paint, doing pop art. And so I paint during the day, which allows me to if you know I, if I paint for four hours and then suddenly I need to go and you know suddenly Tyler says hey there's this guy here's who he is he's coming into town do you want to do an interview with him he wants to do a podcast I can say yeah yeah sure what time okay we'll schedule it I can leave in the middle of the day yeah. I can drive here to St Pete I can do a podcast with you I can go back I can paint for two more hours. Like, you know, my mom says, can you come over tonight? I Sure, I put down the paintbrush. I go over there. I come back. So I'm working at my own leisure. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm still working 50 hours a week at least, 50, 60 hours a week, to be honest. But it's just all over the place. Yeah. Well, that's what I've been doing with this podcast. So, like, for the last year, I've been on temporary disability getting paid really well because I went and got the job, right? It was in the construction industry. Right. Commercial construction union and making great money. But the problem is, is that 10 to 12 to 14 hours of my day are committed to commuting the job, you know, all this stuff. And it doesn't really leave much time to do anything else. Right. And so I was able to focus 100% on this podcast for the last year. um, And that's over now. Um, You know, this is, you know, the surgery that I had on it. And, you know, now I'm going back to real work and I was supposed to go back, uh, on the first of May. And then I ended up breaking my toes and pushed me back out. And so it's like, oh man, so I couldn't catch a break, but at at some point I'm going to have to go back. And I've been trying to pivot out of that and, and set up everything this last year to get out of doing that. Because once I do do that, all my time and everything else is going to go back away. Right. And so it's just, you know, it's not really what I want to be doing, right? And so I built the nonprofit, trying to do that, trying to get all that situated, because at some point I'll take a salary from that when money starts flowing in. You know, it's not going to be a lot of money, but, you know, it'll be some. And then the income stream's coming from over here. So I, 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 I wish that I would have done it a little bit better, but I just, I didn't know what I was doing, right? Yeah, yeah. And so basically just figuring things out, throwing darts, see what sticks. If it doesn't, all right, move on to something else. So, I mean, it's. Yeah, that's like, like I wish if I had known, if I'd known two years ago, like how things worked and, you know, what, what, how to monetize certain things, then I, I would have started way earlier and done a lot. You know, it's, it's trial and error. Yeah. And and there's nobody really there to help you along the way. Yeah. Uh, it, so, uh, like when I did that, I did a uh, my the first podcast I did, which was with Danny and Concrete. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'd known now, I, I would have immediately started a, a I would have immediately started a YouTube channel, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, and started recording stuff. But instead, by the time I actually decided, hey, I'm going to start a YouTube channel, I'm going to start doing my own videos. I already had a thousand subscribers. Guys were just subscribing to my channel that had no content on it at all. Mm. So, you know, I started with a thousand subscribers, yeah, yeah. And, and then I, I had to get the four thousand hours of watch time to get monetized, and that took a while. But had I done all, had I known then what I know now, I would have had all that done in two weeks or a month. Yeah, I would have been great. But instead, I I waited and waited and waited because I didn't. First of all, I got out of prison. I mean, er, techno- the technology is just 
overwhelming mm-hmm. co- compared to when I went in. When I went into prison, the coolest phone that was out there was called the Razor. <laughs> remember the Razor? Yeah, I remember the Razor. The Razor. And, and at that point, you could actually watch TV on your phone. So you could you could actually pull up, like watch the news, mm-hmm. and it would play like for four seconds, and then it would go, you know, it loop. Load, buffer, load, yeah, buffer, yeah. buffer, buffer. <laughs> and then to pay for f- five or six seconds and buffer, yeah, buffer, bu- you know, and it was like, and I was just like, oh, man, my God, you can li-. They're like, yeah, but it's so, so, I know, but my God, it's, look at this thing, looks amazing, yeah, look what you could do. Texting had just come out, yeah. So you know, by the time I, I get jammed up and and then I get out of prison twelve and a half years later, and I'm you, it's insane. Mm-hmm, it's insane mm-hmm. what the phones can do. Like it was, it was. It's like magic. Yeah, yeah, it is. They're, they're, they're you know, people. I, I remember everybody's. Oh, you know, they're going to track you. They're going to track you. Do the, Everybody's being tracked. Yeah, if you got so a fucking what? smartphone, you're being tracked. Well, who cares? You know, if don't do anything wrong. Yeah. If you, you know, the only time you need to worry about it is if I'm you're doing something wrong. Oh, I don't want them reading my stuff and my personal stuff. And, and I get that. That's fine. You're right, and it's invasive and it's ridiculous. But you know. The truth is, you know, stop caring about like like don't say don't talk to people, you know, that you don't want to you know, don't say things you don't want people to hear and don't do things you don't want people to know about. And you know, I have such little concern for what other people think of me. I yeah. could care less. Like there's not much I'm not gonna say directly to your face that I'll say behind your back or uh, not much I will say about my girlfriend that I wouldn't say if she was sitting in the room or friends or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean that's just that's just the way it is. I mean, but that's not just how I am. Most people are like that. They're and they're they're hiding something. Oh yeah, they're, they're you know, concerned they've got some sex slave chained up in the basement or something. They don't want anybody to know about. And I get that. You want obviously you want to keep that under wraps. Yeah, you know. So I get it. You don't want anybody to know. That's fine. Yeah, you don't want to know anybody to know that you you know your crazy little things that you do when yeah. nobody's looking. It's fine. You know? Did you? I remember there was a law and order that was based on a case where this couple had kidnapped like a. 14 or 15 year old girl and kept her in a box underneath their bed for like a year that was real it was like a real thing that it was based on like all those law and orders are semi-based on real cases like it was like like it was like a sex slave like they would take her out and the husband would go to work and come back he was extreme control nut and he would come back and then they'd take her out of the box and wash her and put her back in the box and she was just terrified like she'd lay in the box all day and then they'd take her out at night and have sex with her put her back in the box and feed her and put her you know that's crazy you think she's got some some issues i'm sure she does you you remember that jc dugard which one was that she was the one that was uh, being held in Antioch, California, which was like close to where I live, and like nobody knew, and she'd been stolen, and like they had kids with her, and, and oh yeah, she was in the house, right? Like yeah. they kept her in the basement. Was it just her? I thought it was a couple girls. I don't know if it, I know. I just I remember, but I remember they had kids with her. Yeah, and he like, ended didn't, up didn't knocking like, her up. Yeah, and, didn't like one of the kids. Couple of the kids died, or something like that, or I don't know is what that the, the same I case. I can't remember what the whole story is, but I know it was like JC fuck something. Just, people, yeah. people, human beings are just despicable. They're just a sort of horrible species. We really are. Like it wouldn't it wouldn't be like a huge shame if we just died out completely. It wouldn't be like <laughs> it, you know it, it's just disgusting. We're just cruel and, and horrible to each other. Yeah, no, that's true, and uh, you know, and, and everything is is you know pushed through money and and greed and and all of the stuff, and nobody ever talks about you know the low lights which really help people, 
everybody's always you know showing their highlights and talking about their best parts of their lives yeah, yeah, the instagram life yeah yeah the instagram life but nobody really wants to talk about you know like what did you what are we struggling with you know and and, and stuff like that like i come from you know from more of a uh, trauma-based background you know what a lot of it was my own doing and most of the things that i went through i mean aside from you know the divorce and all the stuff that you know caused me to to go the direction that i did and you know being not uh, supervised a latchkey kid and all those other things that kind of helped to go along with that but most of anything that i went through was by my own doing you right. know the the decisions that i made to go down these roads and not want to get a job and like everything like kind of like what Boziak was yeah, yeah doing. I watched I watched one of your podcasts where you're like I was doing anything I could to not get a job a re- real job yeah right yeah. just because I was lazy I yeah. didn't want to go fucking work I didn't want to do this and so I would create all these things and that's why I asked you like god you did you did a whole lot of pre for this you know because in my experience most of the stuff that I did and all of the running around to try to get out of doing work it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. Like if I would have just went to work, I'd have probably made the same amount of money. Yeah, but if I'd gone less. to work, I wasn't going to make fifteen million dollars. You know, well, saying? you, but for me, so, it was you so, know, I wasn't making that kind of. It money. was a lot. Of, it was a lot of work, but it was a big payoff. You yeah, know, yeah. it was. A lot of my payoffs were dealt with, you know, strippers and banging chicks and you know, right. you know drugs and you know, living that life and. You know, being the the guy, the man, you know, whatever. It was just this whole fucking false reality. Yeah, good times. Yeah, right? Gotta love strippers. Um, Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta play well. But, I mean, I'm I'm pretty honest about how I used to be, you know, and, and from being an abusive person to, like, all the things that played out. Like, there's not much that I won't, like, disclose, about my life and in the past and like the person that I was. I think I don't mind disclosing because I'm such a selfish narcissistic prick that I just don't care what anybody else thinks about me. Yeah. I I mean, it's, it's really just horrible. Like, you know, I'll say whatever I'm thinking, whatever I'm, you know, I'm just not concerned about, you know, and my girlfriend just laughs all the time. She's just not laughing. More like shakes her head. Like, just like, I can't believe you just said that. I'm like, what, what's wrong with that? She's like, that's the problem. You have no idea what you just said. You have no filter. Yeah, you have, yeah. Oh, I you hear have, that you have all no the time. Filter. You have no filter. Well, we, why we, we need I? one of these for your mouth. Why? Why would? <laughs> or your I? thoughts? This is how I feel. This is the way it is. That's it. Um, yeah, good times. So what's what's next for you? I mean, you're you're getting That's into it. all I'm this still, stuff. I'm working, or you I'm just working on this stuff. I'm I'm hoping to do a bunch of sizzle reels on my on the true crime stories I've written. I'd like to get some documentaries made. I my hope and desire is that. Those documentaries end up spinning off into series. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, Boziak's story would make an amazing series. Yeah. You know, uh, um, I've got another one called uh, um, "It's Insanity." It would make an amazing series. Mm-hmm. So would uh, you know? And there's some of them that I have that are really they're just they're not going to make great series. They're 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 like a like bailout. It's a beginning, middle, and end. There's one I have called Cash Logistics. Which is about a guy that went and got a job working at Cash Logistics. Uh, it's like Loomis Fargo, or, you know, uh, like you know, or Brinks, where they yeah, move yeah. money. So he went and got a job there, became a manager, and then had the place robbed. So I mean, it's like a lot of forethought and work, and had the place robbed. And then the guys that he set up to rob him, 
then gave him a couple hundred thousand dollars. They're supposed to give him a couple million dollars. They kept all the money, and when him and his buddy were co- started complaining about it, they murdered his buddy and were go- and tried to murder him, mm-hmm. but didn't get him. Yeah, and then eventually uh, they all get busted. He doesn't say anything about the guys that murdered him or murdered his buddy or robbed the place. He keeps his mouth shut, and they turn on him, Ugh. and he ends up getting twenty two years. So I'm saying it, but that's a very that's a story that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. There's no series there. Yeah, so yeah. some of the stories are just, you know, that's what what it is. I, I have a I have a story called um, Atonement. Same thing. There's a beginning. And there's a you know there's a, there's a first act, a second act, and a third act. That's it. That's all there is. Like there's no series here. So I want to get these these stories made into some of them documentaries, and some would be great if they turned into series and. And I think the best way to do that is to get some kind of a documentary done first mm-hmm. and then see if there's interest. And if there's interest, then you spin it off into – you. then you can do it, turn around and go back and make an attempt to say, hey, wouldn't this make a great series? Kind of like The Orange is the New Black. Yeah, yeah. Made a decent book, turned it into an amazing series. That's what you have. You, know, you, you have to create the intellectual property and the interest before you can kind of make that leap to get them to go with a series. Yeah. And that's what I'd like to do. And in the meantime, you know, I'm painting and I'm selling books. Like painting the, the the fact that I'm making a living painting yeah. and selling books is insane. Like that, that I never thought that was a thing. <laughs> Couple two three two years ago, when I was laying in my bunk, you know, in prison, mm-hmm. imagining that I would be able to actually feed myself doing this. That's that's insane. That, like that that never even occurred to me. Yeah, that it was gonna it was actually where I could actually I just assumed I was gonna be getting some job. Selling cars or working at FedEx or Walmart or something. I mean, I just figured I'll do that and then I'll try and do this on the side, and that that was it. That's that was my goal. It just didn't. It, it ended up it, it ended up not working out that way, and worked out way better. And I think I've, I'm I'm making headway. So you, do you feel like because I, I from everything that you've explained, I mean, and even kind of like in my own situation, like. I feel like I'm I'm almost there turning a corner. Right? I felt like listen, just before COVID, I was in negotiations with a company called Blumhouse. Mm-hmm. They make like Handmaid's Tale, they did uh the movie Get Out, they did the movie um Invisible Man. Like you there you see them everywhere. Like they're in all there's a huge production company. And they make movies, they make series for like Hulu and Netflix. Well, I was in negotiations with them to actually, I was about to go out to Las Vegas or Las Vegas. I was about to go out to L.A. and meet with them about doing a series based on me being in prison, writing these guys' stories, kind of like Orange Is the New Black. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and I was supposed to fly out there, and two weeks before I was supposed to get on the plane, COVID hit. They closed uh, L.A. down, and then it became okay, well, in a couple months, you know, and then we, then we had a, they were like, well, let's keep the momentum going and we'll have this, we'll just, we'll do a Zoom and we did a Zoom and then we do another Zoom and then we had just a couple phone calls and we got to wait, we got to wait. Production got shut down. We're waiting for production. And then mm-hmm. six months later, it's like, look, we're shelving it. Like, it's just not going to happen. It's just the play, everything is chaos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we can't be taking on all these new projects. We can't even film at this point. We're not going to get into a contract and sign everything and start writing. A, and we don't even know when we're going to be producing, doing production. Yeah. And when we do production, it's making up for the last six months. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it just never happened. And I know, um, like, my, I have a, a guy who's kind of like my agent, kind of a guy named. Uh, um, 
uh, Davey Rothbart, he's like, you know, it'll probably work out. And we'll come, we'll revisit it when this is over, and we'll this. And it's like, eh, it's not going to happen, bro. Forget yeah, it. Yeah. But now things are starting to happen again. Like now, other production companies are coming to me, and they're saying, "Hey, let's do this. What about this? What about this story? Let's let's not do you and all the story. Let's go individually and hit the stories, and then we can always go back and do, yeah. you know, absolutely. That's and that's really the way I wanted to go. Really want to get the stories made first, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then go back and do my story. Like I don't want to do my story first. My fear of doing my story first is this: if we were to do Shark in the Housing Pool, like my story, being mm-hmm. on the run. What happens is then you become Jordan Belfort, you know, the Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, yeah. Like he walks in the room. He can't walk in the room and pitch a, a, a story that he wrote because all people can see is, hey, you're Jordan Belfort. You're the Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, yeah. Well, I loved it. That one scene when mm-hmm. you were doing mm-hmm. blow off the hooker's ass. Oh, yeah. my God. And it's like, okay, well, wait a minute. I, I have everything. A, yeah. I have a story here. I, I, I wrote this story. Oh, oh, and what do you want to do? Like, like, like they're never going to take him serious. He, he's – He's now pigeonholed. You know, he can't yeah. get out. He, he's typecast. Mm-hmm. That's who mm-hmm. he is. Yeah. I don't want to do that. I want to be able to – if I get a few of my stories made, then I can walk in the room and say, look, I've done this and done this and then this. and I have a series. I'd like to do my story now. Yeah. Now it's just – it's another story and it's not just all about me. Yeah. And trust me, everything about my narcissism <laughs> doesn't want it to go that way, but that's a smart move. Like I want it to be like, look at me, look at me, look at me. Yeah. But yeah. I, I have to you know, have to work my I have to I have to not I have to suffer through it. Ah, oh, dude, I, I I relate to that quite a bit. Because it's uh I mean, we all have I mean if you've been in any kind of things like we've done, you know, right. you've uh, there is narcissism there. Oh, it has to be, right? You know, and there's, it just depends on the level of it, right? Like, the thing that saved me from being a complete sociopathic narcissist was I had, him- I had empathy. And so I would feel bad for the people that I would hurt. And most of the time, it took me being on drugs to forget about the people that I hurt and to right. continue. And, but once I stopped, it was like, oh, man, fuck. Uh, yeah, I got to deal with, with this or that. And so that, that was kind of like my saving grace and having my daughter was really what kind of, not the first one, but the second one that I was actually, <laughs> the first one didn't help at all. No, no I, the first, the first one, I, I know you, I, I actually saw the story where you were, you know, uh, where you had talked about, you know, you were on drugs. And, yeah. You know, yeah. So. And so, I mean, I looked at it as, as like, Oh, sh- dude, sh- go ahead. Uh, I don't have to pay child support now. And, and, you know, if my daughter, I think that comes with age. Yeah, it, too, you know, sees this. Younger. It's not that I didn't care. It's just I thought that that was best for me and my situation at the time, and for me to continue doing drugs and partying and, and living the life that I wanted to. And at some point, like I mean, we've made. You know, she's gotten in contact with me, and we we text every now and then. Um, and at some point, we'll end up meeting, but that's just how life was. And, you know, it's really difficult sometimes. And when I started the podcast, like I had, I had to like have a come to Jesus moment with myself and go, look, how are you, this cannot be about you. Right. You know what I mean? When you're talking to these people, when you're interviewing these, these folks that are, you're getting their stories, stay the fuck out of the way, you know, get out of the way, Right. stop talking about yourself or trying to interject and so it was like a, it was something I had to learn. I had to learn how to conversate. I had to learn how to listen. I had to learn how to relate 
but not too much. Yeah, yeah. yeah you yeah. know, and so, you know, and that's the beginning of, of what I was doing. That's, I was learning. And, you know, now I'm here and Tyler's, you know, and we'll see what happens. And, you know, hopefully. Yeah. Tyler's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, uh, you know, we'll get some bigger things out of this and my story will get some traction and maybe I'll end up writing a book at some point. <laughs> yeah, you, it's not, it, it's, it's not that it's not hard. It's just, a, it's a learned behavior. You just have to. You know, if you can just sit down and write an outline, you take a week, a month to write an outline. You just write an outline, mm-hmm. a good solid outline. Then you just have to follow it. It's just like following a map. You just have to say, okay, well, so right, okay, right, right here, I'm supposed to write about this. Might be three pages. You might write. Might be one page, and then you write the next thing. Okay, what? Well, there, you scratch that out. Now I'm going to write this, and you'd be shocked. Six months later, you're not even putting a lot of time into it. Mm-hmm. Six months later. You're, you you turn around and you're like, I got a 300 page book here. What, what just happened? How did this, how did this just creeped up on me? I'm at the end. Now you might have to go back and tighten some things up, or rearrange some things, or read it and say, you know what, this story doesn't add to. Like, there's tons of stories I never told, I didn't write down. Yeah. But it's like it didn't. It sometimes I wrote several stories that I got rid of because it was the whole story didn't further the overall arc of the book. Mm-hmm. And I realize I only wrote it because it makes me look really cool. Mm. And it's like, am I writing this to let everybody know how smart I am? Is that what I did here? Because this doesn't – I've already talked about how I've done this over and over again. Now why am I writing – oh, because here this happened and look how smart you are that you actually got around this and did this. I'm like, yeah, but I've already done that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like now you're just bragging. Like yeah, now yeah. it's not – you're not. so it's like, okay, you know what? So you have to condense this two pages into – a paragraph or get rid of it altogether you know and that's the hard part the hard part is editing yeah, it's yeah. kind of editing it's getting it well sorry the hard part is really getting it down editing it is easy but then at least you can kind of tweak it really the hard part is looking at that blank page but editing it is easier i made a mistake there but it's definitely editing is easier yeah. to me editing is way easier than writing but if you can get into that spot and start writing then you can kind of tweak it by editing so I think I've got about three books in my story, right? Everybody says that. And so what I did is the best rendition so far of an interview that I've done has been three and a half hours. And so I want to use that, transcribe it, and then add in the pieces that I I didn't tell. But a 300-page book is about 10 hours. Oh, fuck. So you've got – well, it doesn't matter. If you write it down, it's going to be a lot longer. Mm -hmm. Um, The point is you probably have one book. And you don't want to. I always have to talk to these guys like, no, I got a memoir on me. It's going to be three memoirs. Okay, well, you don't reinvent the wheel. <laughs> Get, you know, write a 250 to 300 page book down. If, it, if it's suddenly amazing, you can go back and rewrite it and blow it up in, blow, you know, into multiple books. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, honestly, if you end up part one, part two, part three, you're basically asking people to buy a 900 page book. <laughs> Nobody's buying a 900 page book. <laughs> Not unless it's fiction and it's, you know, Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. So, but anyways, but you know, do what you want. Good information. I'll, I'll, saying, I'll, I'll tell you. No, you've you done want. it. You've done it, and you know. So I'm, I'm going to listen to you. But you know, we, us, you know, narcissistic type of people like to inflate. Things. Well, you know, the other thing is that you know you can get to that point where it's this in and of itself. Look, me prior to prison is a story in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Me in prison is another story. Mm-hmm. So there, there really are two books there. Yeah. Uh, but that in-prison book is really broken up between all of my stories. Like, not all of them, but about four different stories I'm kind of interwoven in. Okay. Um, 
So really, my story is like five stories. Yeah. You know, you could think of it like that, but interwoven in with these other guys' stories and what was happening at that time with me. But regardless, yeah, you're probably your story is up to prison, or, or and then a brief synopsis of prison and then walking out yeah. and starting over. You know, you've got a whole story of redemption. Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. Yeah. So, well, good right. information. Are we done here? Well, yeah, are we we're done up here. Yeah, we're done. Oh, we're good. We're can't wait hour to get and twenty-four. To, can't wait to drive into five o'clock traffic. Oh, oh shit! That's right. I'm yeah. still I'm still on West Coast time. That's yeah, fine. But yeah, let's uh, go ahead and plug where you're anything do, that you what you're not going to do the whole. Uh, uh, if you like the video, you don't do that. If you no. like the video, if you make like. sure to subscribe. Make sure to follow me. Make sure to hit the like button. Uh, make sure to uh, no, you don't do the leave a comment for the algorithm. None of that. No, no. I don't no. give a fuck about YouTube. No. No. I'm buried. What about, what about your podcast? Make sure to do, can they subscribe to the podcast? Oh, people can subscribe to the podcast. But you got to say, want. make sure, make sure if you like the if you like the podcast, make sure to subscribe. Make sure to look in the description. Make sure to support me. Uh, go to my Patreon. You don't have Patreon. I have a Patreon, but I don't really pay a whole lot of attention to it. I got a couple yeah. of people on there. Yeah. Uh, you know what? If if you like what I'm doing, you know where to find me. You know. <laughs> you know. Jesus, bro, the enthusiasm. You must have. <laughs> yeah, go fuck yourself. No. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, if you like my content, you know, cool. Check it out. Check it out. Stay tuned. uh, There's plenty more. I've got 50 on my queue of, of, you know, things that I've already done that are waiting to come out. And so it's, uh, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, if you like what you see and uh, all that. All right. um, Just trying. All right. I agree. I I got it. All right. We're done. We're good. We're done. All right. Um, Yeah. Later. All right. Uh, No. Anyways. If uh, you want to plug anything, uh, go for no, it. No, I mean I get plugged. You know, I got a, I got multiple books. My my memoir is called Shark in the Housing Pool. It's uh, you know it's on it's on, you can buy it on Amazon. You buy all my books on Amazon. Okay. You look up Matthew Cox, Matthew B Cox. There's actually a Matthew S Cox who does writes he writes like 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 fantasy or something. But you know, mine's all true crime. So okay, yeah. Good times. Cool, cool. And then I'll put all that in the show notes and the nice. description and all the other stuff where they can find you. I might reach out and say, hey, man, shoot me something I can copy and paste because. Yeah, my artwork's all on uh, uh, Instagram. And, okay. And, and, uh, and I have, actually have, a, I have actually have a, a YouTube channel also. It's called Cox Pop Art. I haven't seen that one. Yeah. It's got all like time lapse videos of me painting like real, you know, real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So I'll show you when this is off. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, yeah, and uh, if you want to find me, uh, you know where to go, Linktree. Uh, for now, the the website is on, under development right now and getting built as we speak. But peace. All right, see you. You've been listening to the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. Sean is a single dad, a union blue-collar guy, and he spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. When he was released from prison in 2006, all he had was the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and some paperwork. Since then, he's turned his life around and shares the struggles and successes on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope you were moved to connect to the show. Book a guest spot. For merch, Patreon, PayPal, and social media links, go to linktr.ee slash nowhere to go but up. On Instagram at nowhere to go but up now. On Twitter at but up now. On the YouTube channel at nowhere to go but up podcast. See you next time.